the first three kids were part of an orphanage that was being shut down by government officials because of conditions in that orphanage that were intolerable. They concluded the kids would be better off on the streets than in that orphanage. So we decided to open a place so that they would not actually go on the streets. And so over the past two years, we've gone from eight to 22. What is this, an invasion of Americans? Okay. How are you, what's your name? Uh, my name is Judlin. Judlin? Yeah. How are you? Look at all the children. This is the orphanage. There's 22 kids, three adults living in this house, about 1,200 square feet. Until we move them to the orphanage, we're building, the bigger building. So they will be able to take more kids, able to have more space, and the food kitchen will be feeding them regularly. So uh, this is phase one. Yes, sir. Uncle, are you Daniel? You call me Uncle Miles? Oh my gosh, you're killing me. You're killing me. Huh? I mean, you know that a lot of people in San Diego have been praying for you? I'm happy to see you. Huh? You happy to see me? I'm happy. To, I'm happy to see you too. Who's the man? Uncle Miles. <laughs> So, years ago, they uh, found him in the garbage dump, and we have pictures of him. He was emaciated real thin, and then took him out of the dump, and here he is two years old now, and I'm his uncle. The very big difference that we make is that we don't come here just to do humanitarian work. The orphanage, the abandoned baby center, the feeding of the malnourished kids, these are just platforms to preach the gospel. Because only the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can transform this country, which is what we're after. Parce qu'on montre nous pour nous partager la Bible ensemble. Parce que pour nous aider un pile monde les malades. Since we've started the orphanage, a lot of progress has been made. We were able to acquire 11 acres here in Jeremy, which is a miracle. Just raw land. It just had the little guard shack that's ready to fall apart. There's nothing on it. No foundations. Nothing. Now we have two housing units, and then. There is funds for us to start building the third housing unit. I firmly believe that seeds that are being sown right now can grow to be the leaders of this country. Today we're up to about 600 that we feed still twice a week. We started with 30. We're just about ready to start the super kitchen, which is going to feed a thousand kids a day. You have to help the kids, and tomorrow this country will be changed. It's easy to get started, to have good intentions. And my prayer is that we would not just be well-intentioned, but that we would finish well. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Someone say, Jesus. Uh, everybody say, all in. If you remember, at the end of last year, we did an all-in initiative, and we had uh, 
uh, we took two years of pledges, or two years worth of pledges for the next two years to invest in all the ministry happening here at the church. Uh, Haiti's one of those ministries. I was there a few weeks ago for uh, a week, five days or so. We did a crusade, two nights. I spoke at the prison. Uh, in that prison, they had about eight cells, give or take, 20 by 20, 30 by 30, with about 40 to 60 guys in each cell. Uh, there was no beds in the cell, no plumbing, no lights, just a couple of windows and bars. And, and we got the priest of gospel. They could all hear it. Uh, they were wrapped in a courtyard, and, and they were all pray to Lord out, pray to accept the Lord out loud together. Uh, there was also a, a couple of cells with women. It was all in one place. Uh, if they were animals, you would call the police. If they were animals. So it's very hot there, very humid. Uh, it was just a box. There's no lights, no air conditioning, nothing. And it was just sad and um, a lot of poverty. We did a crusade two nights. About 1,000 people got saved at the crusades uh, in those two nights. Amen. <laughs> they had, you know, five, I don't know, 5,000 or so. You couldn't tell because they went up the street through the park. And, and when I did the altar call, I said, raise your hand if you guys say it. And everybody raised their hand. So I was like, uh, I, I said, okay, come forward. So we, we, it was just out of control in a good way. Um, the other part of all-in, uh, where your money goes, and all-in is that you just give money. It's taken offering. It's not designated anywhere. But the other thing we do is online evangelism. Since January 1 this year, which has been, what, uh, 50 days, 51 days, uh, 52 days, we've had 90, over 91,000 people give their lives to the Lord uh, online through electronic media. Amen. Some of them are many of your friends. If you did the text uh, share, we did that in service several times. We've had over 37,000, 3,700 of your friends get saved through that mechanism. So all that is happening. We also had last week, we had all our campus pastors here. How many of y'all were here last week? We had all the campus pastors here. Amen. So all the ministries are happening, all the campuses. So the all-in initiative, the, the money just goes to all that. That's what we do. And so I want to encourage all of you that especially made a pledge or didn't make a pledge, just know that when you give at the offering at the end, that's where it all goes to. Amen? Amen. Let's get on our knees and pray. We got a funky fresh for all you old people. Funky fresh. Do y'all remember that? No? Okay. How many of y'all remember that? That term? How many of you never heard that term? Yeah, well, you know. You, you're not cool. <laughs> oh, God, thank you so much. Lord, I pray you speak to us. I pray you change our heart today. I pray you change our heart today as we talk about love. In Jesus' name, amen. I am going to sit with my wife and watch church with you. Is that cool? Say amen. Check out the video. God bless. I am what you call a burden preacher. A burden preacher is a preacher that preaches from a burden, not only information. Uh, the difference between a burden preacher and, let's say, a straight, pure teacher is that a teacher can get good information and give you the information. A burden preacher has a burden on his heart from God for people, for a specific message, in order to bring about a change in people.
And so whenever I prepare a sermon, I'm like, God, what is your burden? I want you to break my heart for something because I don't want to just give information. I, I want to fight for something. That's how God wired me. That's why I have loud mouth. <laughs> and I talk and I just get like that. Sometimes I'm telling my wife about what happened. And I'm like, <laughs> and she comes over to me and says, calm down. We're getting ready to eat dinner. <laughs> I want to talk to you about love. And as I was over there worshiping, God just started reigniting a flame in my heart. And he's like, Miles, I want, I want the church to understand this topic. It's the most important thing to me is love. It's the greatest commandment, love. When you're in a relationship, whether it be dating relationship, marriage relationship, or your friend or whoever, the most powerful thing a person can say to you is they love you. And when someone says to you, I love you, you assume everything's going to be okay. That that person has the highest view of you and they have given you their highest assurance that they're going to take care of you and get your back. Can I get an amen? There's nothing more they can say to you. Matter of fact, if you're, if you're dating and you say to your who, person you're dating, I love you, and they say anything other than that <laughs> back, it's not good. They can say, oh, I really care for you. Oh, no. Or if they say, ditto, oh, no. <laughs> they say, oh, you're so special, and I knew it. No, no, I don't want to hear none of that. I want to hear the L word. That's it. Because nothing, nothing can match that. Nothing can go beyond it. But a lot of times it don't work out. A lot of times when people say, I love you, they stab you in the back. They hurt your feelings. They lie to you because their concept of what love is is not your concept of love is. Matter of fact, if you look in your notes here, uh, love is misunderstood. One, some people look confuse love with lust. They did a study. 3,000 people found that one in five adults have been in love with somebody other than their partner. That's jacked up. I'm not going to ask you to ask your spouse or your girlfriend, please don't. <laughs> they, won't they probably won't tell you the truth anyway. Uh, <laughs> it says that the claim goes on to say one in 25 say they've been in love with someone for more than five years. I don't know if that's love or lust. People have this other person that they have this strong passion for. I don't know if that's love or not. Love can be deceptive. If you look on the screen, love is deceptive. A manufactured feeling, conditional, distorted, dysfunctional love, and causes credible hurt and pain. I did a search online, and the top definition for love is a natural way of tricking people into reproducing. <laughs> top definition of love. Love can be dysfunctional. Pedophiles have love for children. So they think. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. But to them, that's love. Love is fleeting. Especially in the millennial generation, hey, I get married, I not get married, I love this person, I love this person, I got a, I got a, a amigo con derechos relationship or a friend with benefits relationship with this person, and it's really not committed love. We're going to do a series called Love Wins because in the end, God's love really does change people's lives. God's love really does nurture commitment. God does love, love, God's love really does win over hate. We're going to talk about next week, love is a bromance. We're going to talk about how to apply love in a relationship. And not just God to guy, but just who's your friend? How do you love your friend? 
We're going to talk about love and dating and, and marriage. Love, DTR, defines a relationship. We're going to talk about how people who feel unlovable or people who question whether they are lovable. There are some people who think, I'm not lovable. I'm broken. I've been damaged. I'm damaged goods. And therefore, I'm never going to find love, which is, by the way, is a lie of the devil. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go right through Easter. By the way, Easter, love one. Because Easter is not something that's going to happen. Easter is something that somebody did happen. Amen? I want to, and the definition of love I want to talk about is agape love. I'm going to say agape love. Here's agape love means unconditional loving kindness without borders with which proceeds from esteem, principle, or duty rather than attraction and harm. In other words, agape love is a, is a love of God that says, I'm going to love you because of me loving you no matter what it is about you. Whether you're in my eyes cute or not, whether you're in my eyes nice or not, whether you're in my eyes nice to me or not, I'm just going to love you. The reason so many people get a divorce is because love is so conditional. As long as we get along, we'll be married. But when stuff doesn't go right, I'm going to leave you. That's why the divorce rate is so high. Instead of saying, I am going to love you no matter what. Imagine if both spouses said, I am going to love you no matter what. Guess what would happen? You'd be married. I, I can't divorce my wife. I'm not going to divorce my wife. For a lot of reasons. Now, we joke about it. And we, we don't have those kind of discussions, but we joke about it. I shouldn't say joke about it slash talk about it, especially when we see other people go through stuff. And we look at each other and say, we good, we good, we good. <laughs> and my wife, you can't leave me anyway. There's, there's too much drama for you if you leave me. <laughs> Our commitment to each other is absolute. And I hope we never have to test it. Love, agape love means to love undeserving. Everyone say undeserving. Despite disappointment and rejection. To show kindness without exception. To be hospitable, charitable, to be committed, to be self-sacrificial and unselfish. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Look at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read this passage. We're going to read 15 verses. And in those 15 verses, we're going to read the word of love 21 times. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Let us love one another, for love is of God. John is writing to the church that is dealing with a lot of false teaching about Christianity and about the basis of Christianity. So John is going to tell them, look, I want to address some of those false teachings, but I want to bring you back to the most basic truth of your Christian faith, which is love. That's the most basic thing. You can get distracted with all these different theological perspectives and all these different false teachings and all these different false religions and all these different false concepts and politically correct ways of treating people and viewing God. But in the end, the most basic truth you have to be clear about and be committed to is love. Everyone say love. If we can commit to loving each other, and by the way, each other is everybody, not just the people who treat you good. Jesus said, oh, loving your, your friends, that's, that doesn't prove anything. That's easy. Loving your enemies. Let's keep reading real quick. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We'll get back to that in a minute. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, payment for our sins, the satisfaction of our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Everyone say God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, four more verses, five more verses. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been perfected in love. Uh, by the way, let me stop right there. A lot of people I talk to are, have fear carry fear about the economy, their life, their health, their future. God says, if, if, you, if my love is perfected in you, you have to fear nothing. That's a spirit, a lying spirit, the spirit of fear. The Bible says you have not been given the spirit, it's a spirit of fear, but of sonship, by what you call Abba Father, Daddy. Verse, verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. It doesn't mean you don't have love. It means that you're in a spiritual battle. We all deal with it. I deal with fear. We're in a spiritual battle. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot say he loves God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. That he who loves God must love his brother. Number one in your notes. I know the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. I'm going to expand on that. I'm not trying to expand on the Bible. I'm just trying to help explain it. <laughs> Number one in your notes, love is the heart of God. And why I wanted to say the heart of God? Because I want you to think about this. What we're going to talk about today is what love is. And for the rest of the series, we're going to apply what love is to every area of our life, which is every relationship. It's very important to have a clear picture of what love is. And I want to take it past what we would say is a feeling. That love is the heart of God. It's the passion of God to bless you. It's the passion of God to make an, make an opportunity available to you to know him. For you to be what he created you to be. It's the lens through which God looks when he sees you and all the garbage we have, if you have garbage in your life, say amen. And God looks through his heart and sees you through his loving heart and says, yeah, I, I can look past all that and love you anyway. It's the heart of God. Look what it says in chapter, verse 7. It says, verse 7, we just read it. Beloved, let us love one another. Let's express the heart of God for one another. For the heart of God is, is for, for the love of God is of God, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Is that he who does not know God does not love because God is love. Look what it says. In this the heart of God was manifest towards us that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God said, my heart is that I have a relationship with you. 
I am so unselfishly committed to having a relationship with you. And my son is so unselfishly committed to having a relationship with you. He is going to die for you. This is the heart of God. This is what love is. If you look in your notes, it says God is the standard of love because God is love and he cannot contradict himself. So when people say, what is love? You have to say, well, what is, your, what is your basic standard of love? And this is your answer, the heart of God. So when you say, I love somebody, you have to say, you know what? I have God's heart for you. My intent towards you is God's intent towards you. My passion for you to be everything God called you to be is the same as God's passion for you. My willing to sacrifice for you is the same as God's willing to sacrifice for you. Because you can flippantly say, I love you, I love you, and we say that to people we don't even know, I love you, I love you. And by the way, you can have that kind of passion for people you don't know. Absolutely. But you need to know what it is. It is the same heart that God has for them. So when I say I'm a burden preacher, I have to get in touch. God, one of my goals of praying before sermon and during sermon prep is, God, give me your heart for the people in this message. And if that happens, I don't need this. I mean, I, I can use it as a guide, but I got to let that passion flow. And when you say, I love you, you're saying, God, give me a heart for that person. So when you drive to your job, when you go to school, when you go to the store, that your heart, God's heart in you will be looking at everybody in the store like God sees them. Instead of just going to the store. And when someone, and when you say, I love you to whomever, you are saying to them, my heart <laughs> for you is God's heart for you. Is this clear to you? Y'all are quiet. Is it making sense to y'all? Okay, okay. Y'all just in there. <laughs> East County, is this making sense to y'all? <sighs> you know, God, God's love is eternal. Psalm 103, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And those who fear him, his righteousness to the children's children. God's love compels us. We can only love because God loved us first. Ooh, 1 John 1, 419, we just read it. We love him because he first loved us. Do you know that you can't love people with God's heart? Without your, God? You could have another version. Remember, there's all kinds of distorted versions. But if you want to love God with his love, the only way you can do it is because he loved you first. He is your standard. And by the way, not only is he your standard, he is your sustainer. You cannot keep loving. I cannot stay married without God. Now, we can, we can cohabitate. I know people who live together. They don't, they don't sleep in the same room. They don't sleep in the same bed. Which, by the way, if you're, if you're married, God wants that union. He does. Like as often as possible. Can I get an amen, fellas? Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Hey, oh, now they're awake. Now they're awake. <laughs> it was guys in here like this. Oh, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> it's subconscious. Preach it, brother, preach it. <laughs> That's your burden. That's your burden, right? Uh, uh, you know what the Bible says? The two became one. When you get married, God unites you as one on a spiritual level. What we call sex is an expression of that oneness on a physical, emotional level, mental. It's very important 
to continue to reinforce that oneness. More for pleasure, but for union and oneness. Love. Number two in your notes. Love, of, to love God is to imitate his heart. This is very important. Love is the heart of God, his passion, his commitment, his unconditional self-sacrificial commitment to you. To love God is to imitate his heart. Watch this. To love God is not to come to church. To love God is not to sing songs to him. <laughs> Keep listening. To love God is not to read your Bible unless you are imitating his heart. I'll say it differently. You can come to church and not love God. You can sing songs and even lift your hands and not love God. You can read your Bible and not love God. Do it out of habit. And God's like, I don't want that. Do it out of, God, look at me. I want a blessing. God, I don't want that. I want you to do it because my heart compels you to do it. That's love. And when you go into a grocery store and, you, and before you go into the grocery store and you pray, God, break my heart for whoever you want me to talk to. Open my eyes so I can see everybody in the store like you see them. So I would pray for who you want me to pray for, encourage for who you want me to encourage, give a word when you want me to give a word. I want to be your heart beating everywhere I go. I want your heart to beat my heart. That's the love of God. And when you come to church, God, speak to me. I'm carrying a burden. I'm carrying fear. Speak to me. And when I sing, I'm singing to you. My heart is singing to you. And the Holy Spirit is flowing through my heart and even singing words that I can't comprehend because the Spirit prays on my behalf with utterings that I can't utter. That's the love of God. And it's like boom, 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 boom. Not your, oh, I love you. Garbage. I'm not saying your love you is garbage, but I'm saying some of it's garbage. Can I get amen? Because people will tell you they love you and then go talk behind your back right away. That's not love. That's not love. And some of y'all been in relationships with some guy or some girls telling you they love you and they don't love you at all. They just lust you. They just want something. <laughs> Look in your notes. You cannot love God and hate people. Let me read 1 John, 1 John 11 and 12 real quick. It says, 1 John 11, 4, 4, 11 and 12, Beloved, if God loved you or loved us, so we ought to also love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, it is proof that God, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, if, God, if we love God, God's love is in us. God's love wants to love other people. There is nobody you ever come in contact with, ever. When you're standing in front of them, God says, I, I don't love them. That's never happened. Ever in your life. Let's, let's, do, let's do a survey. How many of you have ever been talking to somebody and you're standing in front of them and you're going, man, they irritate me? Some of y'all are like. Elbow above ear. Let's try that one more time. How many of you have ever been talking to somebody and just say, yeah, they irritate me? Very good. Let, let's just keep your hand up because I'm going to say a whole bunch and just keep your hand up. <laughs> you, you get the point, right? God has never, never, and, so, and I bet you, you've been talking to him saying, God, I know this person irritates you too, don't they? <laughs> I know they have to, because <laughs> hey. 
And not one time has God ever agreed with you. God says, no, what irritates me is what you're thinking right now. And I want you to imagine everybody you talk to, God's heart is saying, man, I love them. I died for them. But God, they are cursing your name. I know, so did you. But God, they're a murderer. I met a guy in the back room of this church. He spoke here. He killed 25 people. He had since accepted the Lord. Sweet guy. But he killed 25 people. Well, every time you slander somebody, you kill them. So you've killed probably 1,000? Well, it's not the same. Oh, yes it is. To God. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Let's do a survey. Let's see how, 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 how um, honest you are. How many of you ever hated somebody? Okay, I'm not going to ask you how many of you hate somebody now. <laughs> I'll give you a break on that one. How many of you ever said you hated somebody at the same time while you were hating that person, you were claiming that you love God? Okay, the Bible says you're a liar. How many of you would say the Bible's right? Okay. But you know what? God loves you too. Even though you're a liar. <laughs> or you were a liar. Because you don't hate anybody anymore. Can I get an amen? Liar. <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> that was so easy. I couldn't, couldn't help it. And if you have any evil thoughts towards me right now, God loves me. <laughs> First John 4.20, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen and sister, I'm not letting you off the hook. How can he or she love God whom he or she has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother. Everyone say I must love my brother. Oh, you can come to church all you want. You can read your Bible all you want. You can pray all you want. What God is looking for is are you loving your brother? I want you to think about, be challenged. I want you to think about, and by the way, as a burden preacher, one of, one of the burdens is to, is to kind of nudge you in a place that not makes you feel uncomfortable for uncomfortable sake, but to nudge you in a place where, yeah, I got to work on that. Here's one of those places. There's somebody in your life that is hard to love. Can I get Amen. That's where your Christianity is measured. That's your challenge this week. God, give me your heart for them. Don't say only, God, help me love them, because your definition of love may be different. God, give me your heart, your passion, your patience, your kindness, your benevolence, your self-sacrificial commitment. Give me that for them. Say that. And stand in front of them and why they're say, God, give it to me now. Give it to me now. <laughs> and here's what God's gonna say. You know what? I am so happy you're asking. So happy you're willing to be challenged. Look at what it look what it says also under number two. A disciple of God must be a disciple of love. <laughs> A disciple of God must be a disciple of love. John 13, 15. By this we all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By the way, uh, 
You say you go to rock, it means absolutely nothing. You say you got a Bible study, absolutely nothing. Let me show, show me your love. Let me see your love. What's the worst thing, and it breaks God's heart, is to hear people talk about the Bible this, the Bible that, the church this, and have no love. He's like, oh, please, please stop. Please stop talking because you're making me look bad. Because <laughs> you're, 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 you're saying going to church, reading the Bible means acting like that. That's not what I want. Where is my heart? That's what I want. When you come to church, you should be praying. And by the way, everywhere. I don't want to say especially church, but maybe a little notch up because you're coming here saying you love God, not versus when you go to work. But you be praying, Lord, who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to say how you're doing to? Who do you want me to say can I pray for you? Who do you want me to express your self-sacrificial commitment to encourage beyond my fear? That's the heart of God. Get away from the word love only because your definition of love versus the heart of God because our definition of love can water it down and say, Lord, I want your heart. Let me read something to you. You don't have to turn there, but I'm, I'm just going to read it real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not speak its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Okay, let me read it again. This is the world, and this is, when I say the world, people, Christian, non-Christian, a lot. Love is patient only until I get irritated. And kind only to those who are kind to me. Love does not envy unless I want what you have. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up unless I feel threatened. Does not behave rudely unless I feel offended. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. But don't get in my way. But not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoice in the truth unless the truth exposes my faults. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And by the way, it always wins when it's done God's way. If you and your mind can walk around this week and say, God, give me your heart. Who? You're going to look at all the people in your life that, eh, everybody different, but especially those people that irritate you, and you're going to go, God's going to say, you know why they act that way? They've been hurt. And they're scared. Can you comfort them? Because that's what I want to do. God shows me people so often when they're acting one way, he says, let me show you what's behind that. And I'm like, ah, I get it. And when people are barking at you, you put your hand and say, are you okay? Can I pray for you? No, no, no. How you doing? Because God never responds to that with anger. Always patient. Kindness. Goodness. We just read it. Number three in your notes. To love others is to encourage them to imitate the heart of God. If someone says, I love you, or you, do you love me, that does not mean you do what they ask. It means that you encourage them and help them imitate the heart of God. Matthew 22, the greatest commandment is love God with your heart, mind, and soul. Heart, love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And the Bible says in 1 John 
5.3, right there in your notes. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The definition of loving God is actually imitating God. The definition of loving God is actually imitating God or obeying God. And if I love you, that means I'm going to imitate God with the hopes to help you imitate God. This is the heart of God, is that all of us would be in sync with his heart. And one of the things he did when he looked down earth, he said, all those people are sinners and they are distant from me. And my heart is that I would have relationship with them. Every single one of you listening right now. God's heart towards you is that he loves you. He has a self-sacrificial compassion and passion to have a relationship with you. And he was so committed to that. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who also loves you. And he surrendered his life to die on the cross just to make a way for your sins to be forgiven. That you could have a relationship with God. And by the way, he loved you so much he didn't want to force you to give your life to, 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 to Christ. He, he didn't want to force you. He wanted to just demonstrate his love to you, his commitment to you. Because there's no greater love that a man can have for another man than to lay his life down for his friend, by the way, and enemies. So Jesus said, the best thing I can do is lay my life down for you and show that I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so God said, I'm going I'm to prove my love to you and send my love to you, my son to die on the cross, so you can have a relationship with him. With hopes that you would realize that I'm committed to you. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in a minute, we're going to pray. God created your heart to receive his love. He created us in his image so his heart can fit in our heart like a hand in a glove. But the only way that can happen is if you ask him. If you acknowledge that you are a sinner, the Bible says all have sinned. If you acknowledge that his son Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you say, Jesus... I want you to cleanse my sin. Take out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Fill my heart with your heart. Fill my heart with your love. Forgive me of your sin. That's what God wants for you. That's my burden for you. So in a minute we're going to pray and you're going to have an opportunity in all campuses, online, microsite, is to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your love. Cleanse me. I want relationship with you. So right now I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your heart for us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. But the Bible says that while we were sinners, enemies of God, his heart, his love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us and rise from the dead. And his love for us is giving us an opportunity to be forgiven. If you realize you're a sinner, you realize that the penalty of sin is death, and you realize that God loves you, he has a heart for you to know him intimately. And you want him to forgive you of your sin. Pray this prayer with me. On all the campuses, in the privacy of your heart, pray, dear God, I know you love me. I know your heart beats to forgive me. I know your heart beats 
to encourage me. I believe Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please come live in my heart and be my Savior. Thank you. On the count of three, I'm going to ask all the people who prayed that prayer and all the campuses to stand up. There's going to be someone there to pray for you. This is very important. God's heart is that you would trust him. God's heart is that you would receive him. God's heart is that you would surrender your life to him. He proved his heart for you by dying on the cross. And I pray your heart beats for him right now. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand up if you prayed that prayer. And by standing, you were saying, yes, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your heart. On the count of three, one, if you prayed that prayer on the count of three, stand to your feet. One, two, three. Just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if you pray that. God bless you. 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 If you're in the balcony, God bless you. God bless you. Stay standing. Stay standing, everybody else. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody else's eyes closed, heads bowed. Just for one second, let's pray for people. If you're standing up, just stay standing. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. In a minute, I'm going to ask all of you who are standing to come down to the altar. If you're in the balcony, all you got to do is turn around and walk up, and the ushers will guide you down. And while they do that, the rest of us, we want to cheer for them. So if you're standing, come on down to the altar. Let's give them a hand. They come on down. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a big hand. Just come out of your seat. Come on down. Amen. 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 Stay right there, basically. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You can come forward. Amen. 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 Just come on down. Who else is coming down? Anybody else? Come on down. Amen. Amen. God bless you. 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 Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's it. It tells us in the book of Luke, in chapter 22, Jesus was there with his disciples. And as he was there with them, he was spending time with them, and he was letting them know that soon he was going to be gone. Soon he was going to be gone, but before he left, he wanted to spend some time with them. And, and he, they had bread, and, and they had some wine, and he was telling them, you know what, guys, soon I want to be gone, but I want you guys to remember this. And this is why we are doing this, because we are remembering what God did for us when he was, went to the cross and he gave his body to die for us. Amen. Amen. You guys can keep coming down. Keep there's plenty of room. Plenty of room up here, guys. You guys can keep coming down. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Keep coming. Keep coming. So so Jesus grabbed the bread and, and he told them, Hey guys, do this in remembrance of me because he was going to go down the cross soon as we eat this bread, you guys. It's something to remember the 
amazing sacrifice that God provided for us. The amazing sacrifice of him paying the penalty of our sins. So why don't we open up the top portion of the cup. And there's the bread in there. And this bread is flattened. It represents God's body. God being sinless. They didn't put any yeast in there for it to rise. And he had lived a sinless life for us. So together, you guys, as a family, let's take this bread. Lord, I thank you that you were there with your 12 disciples, Lord. And here we are, Lord, in this church full of your disciples doing the same thing that you commanded us, Lord, to do this in remembrance of you. We thank you for the, your body, Lord, that, that you died for us, Lord. Also, he took the, he took the wine and he, he showed him it. And as we look at it, the wine represents Christ shedding his blood. The Bible tells us without bloodshed, there's no remission of the sins. Like there's no payment for our sins except through Jesus' blood. And it was because of his blood that he shed on the cross that paid our sins. And now, not only are you guys forgiven, but all of us who accepted Christ are forgiven as well. Can I hear amen? He says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed us from our sins. So you guys up here, welcome to the family. Family out here, don't forget that Christ paid for your sins, all the sins in your past, all the sins that of today and all your sins of the future. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Lord, we thank you that we're doing this remembering what you did. Let's drink from the cup. What we're going to do now is, hey, how you doing? <laughs> people, people keep chuckling down. How you doing? How you doing? Uh, let's take one minute. I think there's somebody else because people keep trickling down. Does anybody else want to come down here? Let's give them a hand before they come down. Come down. Just come out of your come seat. On come on down right now. Anybody else need to come down here right now? Hey Amen. Let's, let's, let's shout it out. Amen. Let's shout it out. Come on down. Come on down. Here's Amen. what we're going to do. We're going to um, pray for all of y'all. And then we're going to lead you into the room. And, and for all of y'all, it's not time to leave. It's time to cheer them. And then after that, uh, Pastor Marcus will dismiss us. And I have a word for y'all um, uh, after that. So Let's cheer her down. We're oh, here we, go. Here, we go. Here we go. here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Yes. Here we go. Yes. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Good girl. Oh, I didn't get you either. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Take a lot of, lot, of, lot of courage to come down. So God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. God bless you. Ah. So last week, remember him? Last week I did that. I said, there's one more person and no one came. And then after we left, he came down and said, I was that guy. So thanks for coming again. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> Lord, I pray for these people. I pray you bless them. And I pray that you put your heart in their heart. And I pray for all of us that we would have your heart for our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a right turn and walk this way. Let's give a hand and go out. Walk this way.